0: You're listening to Amplified, presented by Lurie Children's. Transcripts of this and all episodes can be found at luriechildrens.org forward slash Amplified. Humans are born with the ability to communicate in a way no other species even comes close to. It involves grammar, semantics, humor, slang, sarcasm. It can be spoken, signed, or written. Yet it's so natural, we don't even think about it. Making friends, playing on a team, interviewing for jobs, conversing with colleagues, resolving conflicts, and maintaining all forms of relationships hinge on good communication skills. My name is Katie Kalala, and I'm a pediatric audiologist at the Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago, formerly named Children's Memorial Hospital. As a clinician, I diagnose and provide intervention for infants and children with hearing loss so they can communicate and connect with the people and world around them. Whether it be spoken language, sign language, or even a communication board, most infants and young children crave communicating with the world around them. It's a large part of what drove me to this field. I have always been fascinated with the natural perseverance of humans to communicate. Fetuses as early as 25 weeks have been recorded responding to sound, and infants spend about a year listening before uttering their first word. A whole year of listening to speech and laughter and crying and songs before they even produce their own piece of language. But what happens when that ability to learn language is compromised by congenital hearing loss? Welcome to Amplified. This is a story about communication, connection, and love beyond adversity. Our heroine, Katherine Radosevich, Katie for short, was born in 1988 in Naperville, Illinois to parents. Rudy, a lawyer, and Eileen, a homemaker. I have been fortunate to know Katie for a long time before she agreed to this podcast. And there are so many things I would love to tell you about her right away. But it's not my story to tell. So we begin our journey by listening to the first time I sat down with Katie, Rudy, and Eileen. Can you believe it's the 30-year anniversary of Katie's diagnosis?
1: I know. I... It's hard to put that in perspective. You're right. It's really crazy. Thirty years, Katie. It's thirty years right now.
2: You still have curly hair, though. (laughs) Some things haven't changed, and the
1: same great smile. So
0: tell me about the day she was diagnosed.
1: Well, there was there was time leading up for that to that, and that was something that we had been talking to Katie's pediatrician about prior to her second sister being born and, or her younger sister, Katie has two younger sisters now, but you know, there've been times where we suspected and, uh, but she was so good at, at still had her language, still the the pediatrician told us that she was just, you know, kind of in the lower range of the number of words, but still within normal. and. And then her sister Julie was born and we were heading up the stairs for bedtime and bath time. And her dad, Rudy, had her on his shoulders and started talking to her and she brought her whole body around and looked at his mouth and looked at his face. And we both just said it at the same time, she's reading your lips And that got us really the fire lit and we uh, went to Children's and um, they did a initial hearing screening in the booth and the audiologist was amazing. Nailed it almost to a T what your loss was. And, um, And then we went to the hospital shortly after that for the ABR. Mm-hmm. And that day was it. You know, I hit my memories are few and far between these days, but that day just sticks in my mind so strongly because uh, it was so foreign for especially. Well, it was foreign for me. Um, Katie was You know, had a light sedation, and our cute little curly-haired two and a half-year-old was. Uh, they put electrodes on her, and um, the com- there was a computer screen, which, you know, 30 years ago felt like we were in this futuristic uh, setting. And there in front of us, the audiologist showed us where you started to respond to sound and showed us where the norm would be, and here you were. At sixty-five and and above that, but mo- bo- mostly both ears were at sixty-five decibels, and um, I had an out-of-body experience, and I haven't had one since. I I saw myself below me, and I went up into the corner of the room because it was just overwhelming, and I kept thinking, what, what. What does this mean for our sweet Katie?"
0: This diagnosis was devastating. Clinically, Katie's hearing loss would have been described as moderately severe to severe sensorineural hearing loss. Functionally, this meant Katie could only detect speech if someone was talking loudly, but she was consistently missing most speech cues and likely wasn't understanding much. As you can hear, Rudy and Eileen have clear, articulate speaking voices but that wasn't enough to provide the language input needed to develop typical speech and language skills. Without timely intervention, Katie was at risk for a significant speech and language delay, and the impact of the hearing loss could be irreparable.
1: And from that, that point on, Children's was just amazing. They fitted you with aids, and we got in the, but we got in the car that day. And, uh, you were still, you were asleep in the car seat and we were driving back home. And I said to your dad, "I was like, how does this work? How are we going to do this? And he said, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. And you sure helped us figure it out. Rudy, what was it
0: like for you learning about the diagnosis?
2: Back 30 years ago, there wasn't the internet where you could jump online and learn things quickly. So the ignorance that we walked into that room with was profound and you don't know anything. You don't know anything about adaptive services. You don't know anything about support. You don't know anything about hearing aids except that's what old people wear. So, um, and it wasn't like Katie was unresponsive when she was younger, you know, she would ignore us at times. and we thought she was just ignoring us because when we raised our voice and barked a little bit, she'd turn around and respond, not realizing that she wasn't able to hear us. Um, and, you would back at the time I would think back over the previous two years and think, Oh my God, it wasn't like she was ignoring us. She just couldn't hear us. And that was not devastating, but heartbreaking in a sense because you want to do everything for your kid that you can. And when you're, we would always tell her as she was growing up, you know, you don't know what you're not hearing if you're not hearing it. And the same thing for us, we didn't know that she wasn't hearing because we didn't know she wasn't hearing. But, um, we were, dedicated to doing whatever it was we needed to do to both educate ourselves and help our daughter.
0: And I give you a lot of credit for pushing forward with the hearing test even though it sounds like the pediatrician didn't align with your concerns because there's now research that shows that parent concern is actually a high percentage of children uh, diagnosing a child with hearing loss especially one who past the newborn hearing screen and now you know this is a case where the newborn hearing screening wasn't even around yet right so right. Uh, good for you for going with your gut and I think a lot of parents need to know that's sometimes what they need to do if Ep- there's a concern
1: absolutely and we also uh, you know she she was ex- uh, exposed to uh, a lot of family and and close friends who not a single uh, whenever we would discuss it prior to uh, the diagnosis to a hundred percent said, "Oh, she's fine." Even after you told them about the diagnosis, no. Okay, no.
2: Her, after her the grandmother, diagnosis. her grandmother blamed it on hot dogs, <laughs> eating too many hot dogs.
1: <laughs> there's definitely no. <laughs> well, there's link a to story support that. <laughs> there. There is a story there. <laughs> that was that same day too. It was a that was a very emotional day. So we we um uh our our appointment at. at the hospital was um, after lunch and we were driving in from Naperville. We had a long time. So we were, we were depriving her of her nap. And um, I was, we had a, uh, like, two-month-old. My mom came over and was holding her sister Julie in her arms. We were in the kitchen. And um, Katie was in her high chair and I was giving her lunch, <laughs> normal lunch at that time. Katie just loved hot dogs, and so um, she uh, was having her lunch hot dog, and um, my mom uh, is this uh, very, she was ahead of her time, and everything needed to be, like, organic and 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 um, whole-type foods, and it was just totally upsetting to her to see that she was eating a hot dog, and um, she knew that Katie ate them all the time and so I said to her well you know she kept saying to me I think she's gonna you're gonna find out she's fine she's fine and finally my mom said because she was just very concerned also I know and she said well if I ate hot dogs every day I probably couldn't hear either
0: (laughs) oh no 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 no.
1: (laughs) and so it was just very fortunate a number of things because my mom is still alive now Um, uh, and 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 she lived through that day (laughs) because (laughs) she was holding our infant and there was there was physically a table between us (laughs) because i i actually thought about lunging at her you know and but
2: uh instead she said mom Oh, I said if it's the hot dog, she'll never have another hot dog. Yeah. I said, well, I don't think it's that we're going to
1: ask the doctor. I did. I (laughs) just took a deep breath and said, we'll ask the doctor. Good for you. You took the high road. (laughs) Um,
0: Okay. So Katie's diagnosed and then in, in a matter of weeks, she gets hearing aids. So what was it like all of a sudden coming home with all this new equipment and getting used to that?
2: We were fortunate. I think that Katie adapted to her hearing aids very well. I remember the first day she came home with our hearing aids. her hearing aids went into the kitchen and heard the dishwasher for the first time said, what's that? And then would hear other sounds go, what's that? The what's that? Valve. So she liked her hearing aids because she could hear. So we never had a problem with her wanting to yank her hearing aids out and liking your hearing aids. One of the little signs I have in my office that I got from her when she was in preschool, they asked, um, what you can do. Um, and the teacher would write it down. One thing I, I, I like to go to the park. I can, I can color, I can jump rope. I can hear better with my hearing aids. Oh, and I keep that in my office for so 30 years. It's like, oh my God, that's, that's exactly right. So it's a lot. And I developed my, I should have patented this, um, a little device to keep her hearing aid so we wouldn't lose them. I took some fine fishing line and tied them to the stem of the, of the hearing aid, and then put them to a a, a clip in the back of her shirt so she would never lose her hearing aids. And she, besides one lake accident, never (laughs) lost a hearing aid. And since they're not covered by insurance, that was a good thing yeah.
0: And I, I remember you telling me about how you used the piano to help her get used to her hearing aids as well.
2: Yeah, we, we, we bought a piano. I bought, we bought a piano (laughs) and, um, the reason was it was a, a birthday for Eileen. Eileen paid the piano as a kid and I thought, Hmm, piano, that would be a good thing for Katie to help her discriminate sound. So we bought a piano. She took piano lessons. Um, Got to the point where when her middle sister was uh, doing um, um, a talent show thing in middle school, singing, because she has a very nice voice, Katie was playing the piano as as an accompanist. And I think the piano really helped. And she took piano lessons, liked taking piano lessons. Um, And, you know, when you hit the wrong note with a piano, it's still a note. So it's not as bad as playing the trumpet.
0: True, true. (laughs) True. I cannot stress enough how progressive this was for the 90s. Research about the benefits of music therapy for individuals with hearing loss was in its infancy at that time. Today, music therapy has been shown to improve speech perception abilities for those with hearing loss. And Katie, you were you were so young at the time when you got hearing aids, two and a half, but do you have any memories
1: of when you first got your hearing aids? So... From when I first got my hearing aids, no. Um, But one of my earliest memories that I do have is the first time that I mastered putting my hearing aids in by myself. Um, And I remember I was standing in front of my dresser mirror, just, you know, just trying to jam these ear molds in, like (laughs) everything in place. And when I finally did it, I ran downstairs. um, And, you know, it was just kind of an aha moment. And, like, that was so cool for me because that was, you know, kind of the start of that independent journey with hearing aids, too. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely remember that, and you were making dinner, and I had just ran downstairs, Mom, I did it! And um, that was a really cool moment.
0: Before Katie was diagnosed with hearing loss, did you ever know a child with hearing loss? No. No. We did
1: that. And now, did, did it surprise you to learn how common it is? Somewhat, but we still, I'll tell you, I didn't still, I did not find it common um, in our in our world where we lived, but coming to the hospital and coming to uh, the clinics, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it did feel so much like, you know, this was not as rare as it, it felt to us.
2: And then it turned out that another um, little girl in Katie's grade at her uh, elementary school um, was hearing impaired and were hearing aids and lived one cul-de-sac away. So that was provided a bit of a, f- a, f- a frame of reference because again, back then 25 years ago, 30. there was no internet. So you don't have the ability to try to go into child's voice or anything else and try to find out information. Um, it was much more difficult to uh, develop it on her own. She, she had some good audiologists along the way that were very helpful. Um, but it was still, you were kind of on your own back then.
0: Sure. Now that you're you're so well educated on the resources that are out there now, what, if you could pick one that's available today, do you wish you had back in 1991?
1: Just the internet, I think. Mm-hmm. Just the um, being able to, you know, spend some time and educate ourselves.
2: Yeah. I think there's a lot of programs that, Katie got involved in. It. I love sound experience that um, Lurie puts on for kids. I think it's a terrific thing for the kids, for family, for siblings. Um, different programs that I'm involved in because of some of the things that I do, um, supportive of Katie and also supporting of the hear, uh, of, uh, hearing impaired environment of kids. Um, there are you know music therapies and other things that are available now which weren't available then, which I think are great things for kids where hearing impaired kids are around other hearing impaired kids so there's some commonality there i'm not the only one Um, it's very isolating i think to think you're the only one
1: but i think uh when i reflect back to what you your question just newborn hearing screening that's what i wish had existed at the time of um when katie was born so that we would have known earlier
0: Mm -hmm. I'm here with Dr. Joy Ringer, who is the clinical coordinator of the diagnostic audiology team at Lurie Children's. Joy, thank you for listening with me today. Thanks for having me on. One of the first things I want to ask is for clarification between the different types of testing that Eileen discussed. Uh, She talked about Katie going in a booth and then she talked about Katie being sedated. Can you explain those differences? Sure. So in
3: the booth, what we call behavioral testing includes about four or five different tests. Some of them are objective. So the kids don't have to do anything but sit there and be still, which is a tall order for, for <laughs> a lot of kids, but um, younger kids. Um, so we first checked to see whether or not we think there could be any sign of fluid or or um, ear infections and then we go on to do um, further testing that tests specifically the cochlea or the organ of hearing and those are tests that either there's a response or there isn't a response and really the kids aren't aren't showing us what they hear and then we go on to do a test where we watch them respond to sounds so it may be a situation where a young child is turning their head when they hear a sound out of a speaker and we light up a toy and teach them whenever they hear the sound, they get to see the toy. and um, Or for an older child, it might be holding a peg and putting it in when they hear the beeping sound. So then we're, we're literally at watching them react to the sound. And um, if that's not successful and we can't get enough information to rule out, hearing loss, then we do something called an auditory brainstem response or ABR evaluation. And that's an evaluation where they have to be placed under, the kids have to be placed under general anesthesia and not because it hurts or anything like that, but any muscle movement, even eye movement will interfere with the test. So um, the kids are under general anesthesia. We put sticker electrodes on their um, forehead and earlobes and a sound in through inserts in both ears, so it gives us information about both ears, and we follow that response from the ear all the way up the brain stem, and it will tell us um, if there is in fact a hearing loss or if there's any issue with the sound traveling from the ear up the brain stem. So it gives us good information, again, without the child having to show us how they hear, um, it just, we monitor those brain waves, find out whether or not that sound is, the, if the auditory mechanism is working as it should. It does not tell us how they understand the sound, but it does tell us if the ear is working properly.
0: And I think it's just nice to have a starting point for hearing aids.
3: Absolutely. If- it gives us some great information for us to be able to program and set hearing aids. It also can tell us whether or not uh, there's a hearing loss because of fluid behind the eardrums or if it's a, um, a permanent, you know, sensory neural or um, takes place in that, uh, the cochlea, the organ of hearing. So it gives us a lot of good information.
0: Okay. And Katie and um, Eileen, they talked about the newborn hearing screening, which Katie missed. Uh, born in 88, she didn't have it. It didn't come around until the 90s, More didn't become more standard until the 90s. Um, Can you share from your experience how the newborn hearing screening affected the age of diagnosis?
3: It was huge. Um, You know, I've been doing, I've I've been a pediatric audiologist for over 35 years. So if you think back um, in the 80s, mid-80s when I started, there wasn't newborn hearing screening, of course. And so... Kids were identified with hearing loss closer to 18 months to two and a half years of age when their speech and language was delayed, and parents started to really wonder, you know, what's going on. And so uh, we lost a lot of great years for uh, language development and amplification, of course, at that time was, you know, hearing aids were not as, as good as well and not as easily programmed. So, um, you know, kids were at a, at a disadvantage on several different levels. Um, now we can uh, identify hearing loss. It's very, very mild that can also impact hearing loss. and um, and we're also able to tell if there's any kind of um, neurologic issues going on um, which would change a course of um, treatment for a child if they have hearing loss or there's other issues going on. So it made a, a very big impact. Okay. And
0: I feel this this field, I'm always, humbled by how much the general public doesn't understand about hearing, about that sense in general. You know, I think, and I I forget of how much I've learned just being in this field. Um, So when a family hears that diagnosis of hearing loss and understandably says, but my child does hear me, they do turn sometimes, they do have some words or make some sounds, where are some of the best places you recommend to get information or resources? I definitely um, love to have
3: parents talk to other parents. So uh, there are local groups that are out there. There's also AG Bell. Um, uh, Hands and Voices is an organization that um, is national. Each, each uh, state has their own chapter. Uh, so I think that's really great. There are lots and lots of different kinds of resources out there that you can find on the internet, but you can also go down this dark hole, right? Oh, yeah. where, <laughs> and there are a lot of opinions flying out there. So I think it's really great for parents to connect with other parents who have, are in their shoes, who have been in their shoes. So Lurie Children's has um, a group that called ParentWise where we can connect families with one another. There's also Sound Experience, which is a parent support group, and it's for kids who are hard of hearing, who have um, not necessarily met other kids with hearing loss in their school district or um, in their neighborhood. And it's a way for parents and kids and siblings to connect uh, and has great advice. Parents are giving good advice at those meetings. And then there's also... Through Hands and Voices, uh, there is Guide by Your Side, which is another parent resource. So I think those are the good places
0: to start. Mm -hmm. So you've seen, I mean, thousands of ear molds probably at this point. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Um, What's your favorite style or uh, design someone ever did? Oh, my goodness. I've
3: seen every athletic team you can think of, (laughs) Um, if it's the Bears or or Green Bay seen a lot of camo. I've seen a lot of Frozen. Um, I just think it's so wonderful when the kids are creative. And sometimes, you know, they pick colors that are not necessarily what a fashionista would put together. (laughs) But if they're happy with it, that's fantastic. And I love it when parents are like, okay. I know. know, I give
0: them so much credit. I do too. I I can see them thinking about like their picture days coming up or... The holidays and, are like, Oh, that's gonna be in all those pictures. Exactly,
3: exactly. And I've had some kids get like if they were gonna be a a flower girl or whatever, they'll get special ear molds for that. Oh, that's sweet. And um and I, I it's a real way for them to be creative and what I love when when parents are able, you know, feel comfortable to let them do that, there's so little that kids have control over right especially a kid mm-hmm. with hearing loss and it's a way for them to take control of something that they you know need to wear have to wear and are excited about so
0: i i love hearing what they want to put together <laughs> finally can we put on the record do hot dogs cause hearing loss
3: <laughs> <laughs> i can i can honestly say and with great conviction hot dogs do not cause hearing <laughs> thank loss. you so, so, you know, I'm, I'm hot dog at Wrigley Field tastes the best anywhere you go. So, that's right. Uh, but especially at, at Wrigley Field. So, I'm, I'm a hot dog.
0: Or guaranteed rate, depending on yeah. where you
3: go. <laughs> yeah, that's true. As long as
0: it's just mustard, right?
3: <laughs> yes. No, mustard and onion, no ketchup. No ketchup.
0: No ketchup. No ketchup. <laughs> Receiving hearing aids might sound like the end of the story, but it was just the beginning. More on the next episode of Amplified. Thanks for listening. Amplified, presented by Lurie Children's, was created by me, Katie Colella. Music by Les FM. Artwork by Katrina Gragiolo. Special thanks to Jamie Budzik, Lisa Weber, Joy Ringer, Jen Haney, Danielle Lee, and of course, the Radosevich and Farnsworth families. If you need resources regarding childhood hearing loss, go to luriechildrens.org forward slash audiology dash resources. Transcripts of all episodes are available at luriechildrens.org forward slash amplified. Learn more about Katie and the incredible division of rehabilitation services on Instagram at lurie rehab services. That's at l-u-r-i-e rehab services.